You're listening to the Not So Black and White Real Estate Podcast with, with your hosts, Sir Colin Campbell and Gary A. McGowan. Hello, everyone. You're tuned into the Not So Black and White Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sir Colin Campbell, with Gary A. McGowan. We have a special guest inside the studio today. Um, special all the way from the Fiji, the yeah, island of Fiji. A long time ago. <laughs> Dion Beg is in the house. Uh, fantastic uh, mortgage broker, amazing leader, a great investor, uh, very knowledgeable on everything real estate. Uh, before we get into learning a little bit more about Dion and, you know, how we can buy investment properties. Here's a word from one of our sponsors. This is Dion Begg from Butler Mortgage. For the past 15 years, I've helped families answer the big three financial questions. How do I pay off my home faster, pay for my kids' education, and build wealth for retirement? We answer these questions through helping plan and fund significant investment property portfolios. If you're a first-time buyer or buying your first or 10th investment property, please reach out for a free consultation so we can ensure you build the best portfolio possible. Search for mortgagesbydion.com or call me at 800-518-1221. How about that? I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> so we love our sponsor so much. We just bring him right here and put That's him in right. the hot seat. How about that? Dion, my man, good to see you. Before we actually do the official hi, sure. let me read your bio. Okay. Okay. Go for because it. Because I've introduced you a thousand times <laughs> and Dion's like, here, read my bio. Nope. Garrett, read my bio. Nope. nope. I'm actually going to read it this time. Okay. All right. All right. Sure. All right. Let's here, see how you, what, if you do it well. Oh, pressure's on now. Yeah. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so, who do we have here? Dion. Uh, Dion's a multi-award-winning mortgage professional with 15 years experience in property and finance. There are, there are over 20,000 mortgage professionals in Canada, and Dion is ranked in the top 75, my friends. Ooh. Woo. Uh, hang on a sec. There's a sound effect for that. I know there is. <laughs> <laughs> Back to script. Dion formerly worked as a financial advisor, assisting people with wealth and creation through property. Uh, he is often a guest speaker at the Toronto Real Estate Board, uh, other Ontario real estate associations, where he trains real estate agents on the topic of real estate investment. I can also tell you he's been to our investment workshop a number of times. And here's a little true facts about the... Uh, about Dion. Yes, he's born in Fiji. Yes, he grew up in Australia. Yes, he likes long walks on the beach. Yes, he's happily married with two beautiful girls. He um, he does a lot of really cool things. He owns property here in Canada, the U.S. and Australia, mate. And um, good, Cheers, thanks. mate. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that was okay, good. I'm stopping there. All right. yeah. <laughs> I got it's good, right? It's fine. It's, it's good. Fine. Dion, my man, good to see I'm you. Happy thanks to be for here. being here. And uh, you're adding, I know, a little bit of color to, to what we have today. Li- and I'm happy you said that because because I'm just following in the steps of uh, our friend Quinton from yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. That- <laughs> East one says, and more than sometimes, Brown. More than sometimes, Brown. <laughs> because I know when Quinton was on, you said it was sometimes, Brown. That's I right. Love That's it. right. I love it. The truth is, I'm just calling him Gary's love child. <laughs> <laughs> With an Australian accent. Love it. Yeah, we're not sure how that works, but it works. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Good to see you. So, so tell. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit that that two minute bio of really who Dion is? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, take- look, I, I moved to Canada about ten years ago. 
And uh, before that, I was working in real estate and financial planning for a period of time. And when I came to Canada, uh, I came from this background where in Australia, when people were investing money, if you gave $100,000 to an, an Australian to invest, they would nine times out of 10 go and buy a piece of real estate. Mm. And when I came to Canada, it was culturally very different. Uh, but I, I knew because I was working as a financial planner, um, all of our wealthiest clients in Australia, they, they either made their money in real estate or they held their wealth in real estate. And so when I came here, it's like, okay, how do I get this message out to to Canadians because culturally, if you give $100,000 to a Canadian, most people would walk that money into their bank and hand it over to their financial advisor. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of an education process in terms of, you know, showing people why they should look at real estate. And the timing was interesting because I I moved to Canada at probably the worst time to get in the world of financing, which was October, November 2008. And if you remember that date, that was the date that the world ended. It was the start of the global financial crisis. Yeah, welcome to- to Well, and welcome welcome to Canada. Canada, right? That's how, we, that's, how, <laughs> that's how we welcome you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, literally 10 years ago, I was sleeping on the couch in my uh, in-law's house while we just moved here and trying to get established. But uh, now I'm happy to say, you know, 10 years later with uh, working with, you know, realtors like yourself who really want to take this message out to their to their clients to say that, you know, there's a different way for you to get ahead in life uh, through real estate, through property investment. Um, you know, I'm happy to say we've built a, a very good business and we've helped hundreds and, and and probably thousands of individuals in this period of time uh, go and create some significant wealth, which is going to impact uh, their families and you know their children in the future. So, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. That's just fantastic. Thank you so much again, Dion. For those of you who are now logging in or you're watching online, please share, comment uh, if you know of someone who uh, can benefit from this message today. Dion is a phenomenal uh, mortgage broker, has a lot of knowledge in the background in terms of real estate investing. So anyone you know of that might benefit from this information, tag them, share, comment, let us, just so that we can get them on here today. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share right now. You caught me off guard. It's all good. It's all good. So here's, uh, here's Dion. So I'm speaking from experience, getting mortgages in Canada and as many people experience 10 years ago was mm-hmm. like you, Don Campbell would always say, if you could blow on a piece of paper, you could get a mortgage. Right. Fog a mirror, he would say you could get a mortgage. That's yes. right. That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all know how it's changed mm-hmm. yep. from, from one extreme to the other extreme. But I want to, I want to, I want you to perhaps shed some, some optimism okay. over the next, you know, three, four, six, 12 months, what that may be. Okay. So what do you, where do you think some of the banks are doing over the next little while to, to help create some f- new funding ideas? Well, I can tell things? you that the banks and people in our industry have been you know, approaching the government regarding the stress test that came in last year. It's been a topic of conversation for a lot of people because what what effectively has happened is they're making it a little bit harder for first, especially first time home buyers to enter the real estate market. And it's also been harder for people at the end of their five year term, their standard five year term with their current mortgage provider to move to a different lender because in order to move, they now have to move under higher uh, stress test. So in, in that way, it's a little bit anti-competitive in that way. Um, But I know that the banks have been lobbying the government somewhat, um, either officially or unofficially, uh, to try and get these rules changed. We haven't seen the government giving giving any movement at this point in time, meaning that um, what, uh, what they've tried to do 
And when we've all seen it, we've seen the property market just zoom ahead and ahead for many, many years. Uh, and then in the last couple of years, it has eased off. Frankly, I'm happy that it's eased off because we were, we were traveling at such a pace that, you know, we were heading for a cliff maybe. If it wasn't, if some of the, if some of the air wasn't let out of this balloon, it was certainly going to you know, bust at some point. That's my opinion. Um, so they've made some steps to, uh, you know, make it harder for people to qualify. But the question is then how, how will and how can people qualify? So I like to put this in sort of an analogy. You know, Gary, when you're at home and you're watching the uh, the lottery and you, you see the guys who win the lottery and you go, okay, if ever I won the lottery, I would, I would, the first thing I would do is help my family. Is that a fair comment? That's a pretty fair comment. Fair we, comment. We, yeah. I think everybody, yeah. you know, I like them is probably going to go along that, <laughs> those lines, right? And my message around that is that if you are, you know, 40 or 50 years old today... I have no idea. Well, I'm just pushing random buttons now, right? <laughs> so the thing around that is that if you're 40 years or 50 years old today and you've lived in your home for 10 or 20 years, then my message to you is that you've won the lottery. Mm. Because if you've been one of the lucky ones who have been able to hold a piece of real estate in the last 10 or 20 years, then yeah, you've effectively experienced some growth which has been quite phenomenal. You know, average growth rates in the GTA should be around 5% a year. Yes. And in the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen somewhere between 10 and maybe even more than that, 10, an average of 10% a year. So um, if you're a homeowner and you've got kids and those, you know, you're 50 and your kids are 20-ish and they're going to be entering the property market pretty soon, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to have to give some of your lottery to your family. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, the home that you bought for $300,000 is worth 900000 or a million dollars today. And uh, the thing is, you're going to have to either look at accessing some of that equity to give to your children to get into the property market. And or, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not yet retired and you want to start planning for investment, uh, then that, that's another way to start uh, moving forward and accessing that equity to buy more property. But in terms of hope, Gary, it's if, if you have, if you're a first time buyer, you better be friendly with your parents. <laughs> that's, that's my humble opinion right now. It's getting a lot harder for first time home buyers. And I'll, I'll talk to the numbers. So when I first moved to Canada, um, the average household income was somewhere around $80,000 a year. And the average house price was around 350,000. Okay. Now, one of those things has changed in the last 10 years and the other has not. Yes. Mm -hmm. In that house prices are somewhere around 900,000, but household incomes are still somewhere around 80,000. Right. So we can all see that those numbers just don't make much sense. Um, that combined with the fact that, you know, you're having to qualify at a slightly higher rate mean that, you know, we, we, it's, it's just more obstacles in front of these first time buyers who are trying to buy. So could we, um, could we break down the stress tests? Because uh, a lot of people, we've been hearing about the stress tests. Uh, the government has implemented, you know, the stress tests. Mm -hmm. uh, 
break it down for us what that actually means to the average first time home buyer. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's, so it used to be just insured mortgages that were exposed to this higher uh, qualifying rate, but I'll, I'll use sort of round numbers to make things a bit simpler. Let's say that um, back in the day, you took a variable rate mortgage uh-huh. and the variable rate back then was say around two and a half percent. So even though that's the rate that you were getting, um, the government wanted you to test as if you know, the market when you go to renew your mortgage five years from now was at a higher number. And let's say that number was around 5%, okay? Mm -hmm. So that was fairly understandable. We can understand the logic around that because there could be some fluctuations during that five-year period in in variable rates. And we want to make sure that whoever's taking this variable rate can handle a fluctuation in rates. And so that used to apply only to variable rates. So in recent years, what's happened is they started to apply that also to fixed rates. So even though you're taking a fixed rate at 3%, Three uh, percent. They still asked you to qualify as if that mortgage was at five percent, and that was again applicable to only insured mortgages where people were putting down less than twenty percent. So that was mostly first-time home buyers. So again, if we go way back, if you were a first-time home buyer five years ago and you wanted to get the the highest and maximum purchase price, you would take a fixed rate because you would only have to qualify at the fixed rate. So if your rate was 3%, you qualify at 3%, you generally were able to squeeze an extra 20 to 50 to $100,000 on your purchase price. Uh, once we have to qualify now at say 5%, then we're obviously gonna be reduced by that same sort of factor. And now, even beyond just insured mortgages, it's everybody who is qualifying for a mortgage. So if you have 20% down, 30% down, if you are a homeowner who's lived in your home for 25 years and you want to move from bank number one to bank number two, you're also exposed to the same, say, 5% rate versus the 3% rate mm-hmm. that you're going to actually be paying. So this is where I'm saying it's it's even harder for people at the time of maturity to move mortgages because it's it, they're having to qualify under rates that they didn't have to qualify before. So it's not that their income has changed, it's that the bar has been risen. No, so, interesting, right, interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> in essence, that just makes it extremely difficult for anyone to qualify for a mortgage at this point. It's getting harder. It is certainly the case. So, I mean, in terms of all I can say around that is well, the things that any, any bank or lender is going to look at when you go for a mortgage is your credit, your income and your down payment. And you work on the areas in which you can work on. So while while you might be saving your down payment, you should also be working on your credit and or potentially looking to your, to your family for co-signing mm-hmm. on a property, especially if you're inside the GTA. Uh, those numbers are getting a little bit tighter. Now, can an average buyer still buy a property with, let's say, 5% down? Yes, most definitely. So um, the 5% down model is still there. Uh, so the, the quick math is if you're buying a property for under $500,000 or $500,000 even, you'd be putting down 25%, sorry, $25,000, which yeah. is the, the 5% number. The little bit of a, a tricky thing there is, let's say your purchase price was 600,000. So the way that works is the first 500K on the price, uh, you'd be uh, you'd be able to put down just the 5%, which is the 25,000. But at that additional 100, the difference between 500 and 600,000, you're required to put down 10%. Mm. So it would be $10,000 on that amount, 25,000 here. So we'd be needing $35,000 on, on that kind of purchase. Interesting. That's good. Mm. That's good. Yeah, Deborah, Deborah online saying that's some of that stuff is good to know because a lot of that, you know, we just think, ah, oh, we can put 5% down, take CMHC financing. But a lot of, you know, if you're not 
in the know as you are, mm-hmm. you're not following the, what the government of Canada is stipulating. Yes. Why would you need to know that? Yeah, it's, so, yeah, it's exactly. And you know, when you when you're going out to you know start to purchase investment property or principal residences. Uh, Trust me, things have changed. If it's been a couple of years since you got a mortgage, do not expect it to be as smooth and easy as it was a couple of years ago. Do expect to be asked for documents that maybe you weren't previously asked for. So uh, yeah, these things are important and that's where a mortgage professional can help you guide you know, guide through those sort of loops and uh, those, those uh, hurdles. Yeah, yeah we're, uh, sorry. In the last couple of years, you've done a few mortgages for us and they just kept asking and asking oh, and yeah. asking and we just kept giving and giving and giving. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's part of the process. It's part so, of the process. And you know what? When you look back at what happened in 2008, um, when the world you know, effectively crashed, Canada was one of the, the top performers who pulled out of that uh, relatively unscathed. I mean, there's still some, some uh, you know, we still had some effect, but when you compare it to the rest of the world, we came out fairly well. And right. a lot of that comes down to the fact that, yes, sure, we maybe were a little bit more conservative around lending. Maybe it's a little bit harder than it was in the States. You remember what they call those loans in the States back then? They called them the ninja. Ninja. Ninja loans. No income, no <laughs> job or assets. Yeah. Right. Okay. And here's your mortgage. And here's your mortgage. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I have a question for you. You don't need to answer this right this second. Okay. But I want you to think about it as we're kind of okay. talking about uh, stuff here. What's been the strangest thing a lender's ever asked for? Okay. 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 Think about it. Think, think about, about that. That's a hard what do you got? Okay. Um, remind, re- remind everybody to comment and everything like that. So guys, if you're looking out there, uh, again, thank you so much for logging in. Thank you so much for following us. Uh, we can't do this without you, our followers, uh, our guests. Uh, please comment, uh, tag someone who this information could be beneficial for. Uh, my question to, to Dion right now, it's... I think I've read somewhere, heard it somewhere that this year, 2019, is when most mortgages are coming up for renewal. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting So with that, you know, someone having to renew their mortgage, how does all the changes in the mortgage industry affect them? Okay, so yeah, in terms of that statistic, I, I I haven't seen the analogy behind, I've heard that. Uh, multiple times. Yep. But I mean, the thing is, most mortgages are taken over five years, yes. which means if a lot of mortgages are coming up this year, it means that just a whole bunch of people purchased property or renewed property five years ago. That's right. So um, the reason behind that is probably because that's when the property market started to really recover and a lot of people jumped in, if I had to guess. Uh, but yes, if anybody is up for renewal this year, I would not leave it until the very last month before your renewal. I would start working on that probably three months before renewal so that you know what your options are. And if if you have to end up sticking with the lender that you're at because of the stress test, please don't just accept the initial offer that they mail out to you because almost it's almost never the case that they're going to offer you the absolute best rate possible. And in many cases, I'll guide a client to say, look, you have to stay with a lender that you're with for whatever reason, but they're not offering you the best rate. And here's a rate that could potentially be better for you and talk to your lender about the fact that this rate exists. And so at least be an informed consumer. Don't just blindly sign love your it. renewal notice. Okay. Hold, hold the love phone. Cause love that it. is love it. I love it. Two huge pieces <clears throat> there from a mortgage agent. A, value add because you're not actually taking their business if it stays with the current lender. But B, what are some of those questions we can ask our current lender? To, Coach to, us yeah. on how to I want approach a better our rate. bank. Yeah. What does that look like? So, uh, okay. 
I'm getting giving you some of the secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly okay. why you're here. <laughs> it's just the two just, of us. Just the two of us and everybody on yeah. Facebook. No, no. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the straightest question is, is this the best possible rate that you're offering to all your clients, not just existing clients, but new clients? Right. Because people always dangle the carrot, with the carrot when they're trying to get people to, to jump in and, and get into the company or, be, you know, join that lender as a borrower. But once a person is in, you know, uh, people uh, in general get, have very busy lives. And so if you're mailed something in the mail that just says, hey, you don't have to fill out any paperwork, but just sign here and your mortgage will just continue on. You know, I, I can understand why people will do that because right. who wants to open that can of worms if, you know, life is going well and you've got, you know, you've got sick kids and got a, you know, planned for vacations or whatever the yeah. case may be, um, you know, things, things get busy. So, uh, do that, but also, uh, call, call your local mortgage broker, make sure that, uh, the rates that that lender is offering you are in fact the best rates. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Wow. So you're basically saying just don't go with the first thing that they offer us. Just dig a little deeper, call that, um, reach out to that bank, reach out to whoever specialist is helping you there to find out what more you can do. Mm -hmm. Reach out to your mortgage broker to see how they can help you. Most now, yeah. what... What are the benefits of using a mortgage broker? Because I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are of the mindset, well, I have the bank, I have the rep in, inside the bank, mm -hmm. they're taking care of me, they've known my family, they've known everyone in my family. Yes, yes. Why why should I switch now to a mortgage broker? Sure. Okay. You know, Colin, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question, but I just wanna add one more thought to the previous question, which was people up for renewal. Okay. Yeah. When you're up for renewal, most people obviously are looking for the absolute best rate and that makes a lot of sense. And as a mortgage broker, that's probably the number one question we get asked. What is the interest rate? And what people are really asking us is how do we pay the least amount of money to the bank? Yes. Okay. Over the life of our mortgage. And so of course, one way is to pay that mortgage, uh, well, get the best interest rate, number one. Uh, but also the other sort of advice in our industry would be to, you know, accelerate your payments, double up on your payments and all of that. And you know, that's not bad advice, but when it comes to that, you have to understand that, you know, if you've got a $5,000 bonus, you can certainly put that towards your, your mortgage, but it's also detracting from your lifestyle. That could be money that you could use to, to live your life now, go on vacations, you know, maybe ex have some education choices for your children. Um, so what we also like to discuss with people at time of renewal is the fact that they're now in a position where they actually have some equity, which okay. they may not have had previously. Yep. And we show them how we can put them on a path to get that mortgage. And they, they probably say renewing into a 20 year mortgage. We show them how we can put them on a path to maybe pay off their mortgage in, in about 10 years. And the way we do that, and it's a little counterintuitive, the way we do that is we show them that we could use some of that money to go off and potentially purchase an investment property. When I say money, I mean the equity in their home yeah. to go off and purchase some investment property. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, usually I do this visually, but I'm going to try and do it with my voice today, and we're going to talk through it. So let's say that you're at maturity. Uh -huh. You bought your house. You bought your house for <clears throat> three hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And now it's worth six hundred six hundred grand. Okay, so you've got a whole chunk of equity in your in your property. Plus the pay down. Plus a bit of pay down. So maybe you've got a mortgage of let's call it uh, three uh, two fifty. Okay. So let's just say we wanted to access a little bit of that, and we can. At, easily access, just call it 200,000 in this example. What we could do with that is, uh, is take just $100,000 and use that as the down payment on a rental property for 500,000. 
Okay. 200%. So everybody with me so far? Yep. <coughs> okay, so we've, we've now purchased an investment property for 500,000. And uh, when the day we purchase that property, it's entirely financed. So we have $500,000 asset with $500,000 worth of debt. Okay. Now, are you guys you guys are probably familiar with the rule of 72, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for the listeners today, so the rule of 72 is an investment rule and it's a kind of cool rule. You, you should Google it if you're on your computer now. Uh, the rule of 72 tells us how much time it takes for an asset to double in value depending on the growth we expect on that asset. So put simply, if you've got money in a savings account and the interest that you're getting is 1%, the math is 72 divided by one is 72. It'll take you 72 years to double your asset. Right. So in real estate, that number, the safer number that we use, we don't use this crazy 10% growth number that we've had recently. We use the 50 year average, which is around 5%. So 72 divided by five is around four, well, 14.4 years. So let's just call it 15 years. Mm -hmm. So if something is growing at a rate of 5% a year, it's going to be growing. Uh, it's going to be doubling in value in 15 years. Hmm. And if if anybody who is is listening, I want you to go and do the math on the property that you own. If you're sitting in a house today that's worth a million dollars, I dare say that 15 years ago, that property was worth four five hundred thousand dollars, probably a little less because of the, the crazy growth that we've had. Yes. But at at least half. Okay. So now, how do we use this moving forward? Well, if we've got this property that's worth five hundred thousand. And we've got this debt with 500,000 on day one. And then over time, it increases, this, this $500,000 asset doubles. It's gonna be worth a million. And over the same 15 year period, that mortgage will be paid down from the original 500 to probably around 300. So now we have an asset worth a million with a debt of 300,000. And so we have here a potentially $700,000 equity. in equity mm -hmm. or net worth that you've created for yourself and for your family. And so for, for a lot of the clients who come to us originally just to talk about renewal, we, we talk about renewal, but we also figure out how, how could we actually use your new position to go off and create this extra money. And the cool thing is, imagine if in say 15 years, you sold that property and you could take the profits and pay off the family home that you live in you'd have more than enough in most cases, more than enough to do that and be left with a whole chunk of cash, right? Mm -hmm. And the, I'll just say this, this year, I've noticed that a lot of our clients own three properties, own three of these rental properties. And when you do the math, if one property is worth 700, then three is worth 2.1 million right. after, after a period of 15 years. So I, I, I sort of say that our clients are on this sort of 15 year, $2 million plan. And the, the reality is that I'll, Almost anybody who owns a property, who has owned a property for more than five years, is probably in a position to execute that plan now. They just need to learn a little bit about how to do it. And that's part of what we do on, on a daily basis in regards to helping our clients plan their, plan their portfolios. Okay. Because what I love about sending clients to you is, and, and, and a lot of mortgage brokers, well, and a lot of real estate agents, you know, we, we, we focus on the next deal. Right, right. Well, there's there's some weight to that. However, what we need to focus on is the bigger plan, right? Yep. Is, is you know, do we want to buy five properties, or is it just one more property we want to buy, or is mm -hmm. you know, what what does that look like? And and I know when you sit down with your clients, that's the question. What what do you what do you want to do? Exactly. You know, that's the very first question. What what why are we investing? 
or, or here's where you're at. Let me show you what is possible. And, you know, I've built my career you know, we're, we're all in the world of real estate. You guys and, and most realtors wake up every day and solve problems for their clients. And that problem is a problem of shelter. I need a place for my family to live, mm-hmm. okay? And I need it to be close to work and close to the schools and all of that and somewhere safe. So that's what you guys do on a daily basis. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to build, have, have myself answer what I call the big three financial questions. The big three financial questions that almost every family has, which is how do I pay off my home faster, uh, build, uh, sorry, pay for my kids' education and build wealth for retirement. (laughs) Three big questions. Yeah, three big questions. And I can tell you many, many people don't even think about those questions becoming a reality. Mm -hmm. It's just, we know they loom over us. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I love how you walk people through that. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's when you, when you dig into it, it is the, they are the biggest uh, questions. That well, of most course, of it's because uh, for a lot of homeowners, it's how do I pay that off? Um, how do I pay off, uh, pay off my home and yep. as fast as possible? And like I said, it's counterintuitive because right. my message <laughs> to them is, look, yes, you can double up your payments. Yes, you can throw more money at your mortgage or, or, and or, you could go and plant a seed, which over time will grow in value, which you can cash in on one day down the, down the track. And if that, you know, let's say we did sell that property and there was a $700,000 proceeds. Yes, you would pay some selling commission. Yes, you would pay some tax, but you'd still clear half a million dollars of course, in most cases. And that should be more than enough to have a significant impact on the lives of your family at that point in time. You know, the, 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 the cool thing is, sometimes I get to have these conversations with people who have young kids. Oh yeah. Okay. And they got young kids. Uh, the, the kids are two years old and five years old. And I, I talk to them at the time of renewal and we say, okay, look, you can renew. You've got 20 years left. Great. So you're going to pay off your house when your kids are going to be 23 and 25. What would it mean to you and your family if you could pay off your house when your kids are 13 and 15? Mm-hmm. Like what choices does that give you? What choices does that give your kids? You know, what is that extra two or $3,000 a month that you're no longer paying to that mortgage? What does that allow you to do in your life? You know, so we, we have the ability to impact. And for, for, the, for the realtors who are listening to this, um, you know, a lot of our clients sometimes see us as, and I, I, I joke, they see us as uh, transactional mercenaries. <laughs> we, you know, we're called in for the job, get the job done, and, we're and then you're done. And then maybe we'll see you in another five years when you need you to come in and get in and get out. And I, I, I really think that we can be more to our clients. I really think that we can be part of a long-term relationship where we're not just there for in and out. We're there to help you and your family grow your wealth and have a vested interest in their success. And if we approach our business that way, it impacts how our clients view us. And I can tell you, it changes the way I live my life too, because I'm out there. I'm, I love my job. I, I don't know if I'll ever stop doing this. You know, it's just because if I can turn on some light bulbs and show people a different way, it's it it, it gives gives me happiness. Well, this yeah. is just brilliant because uh, what what you're explaining here, Dion, where we create a relationship with our clients, uh, showing them how to build long term wealth, generational wealth. Yes, instead of you know us buying this buying this property here and then you're going to live here. Yes, we're going to help you buy this property. Right. Yeah. Also, we'll educate you on how you can own your first, second, third, your tenth investment yes. property. Yeah, right. That's and right. it's creating a strategy around that. Yeah, the thing is, we don't really need ten. It's nice. It's a nice number to think about. Okay, but I can tell you that 
most of our clients are content with three. Three. Because done right, three is $2 million. And $2 million is generally more than enough, especially if they're still doing their regular RESPs, RRSPs, mutual funds, other things. Yes. If this is something that's in addition to that, then we're going to set them up on a, on a different financial trajectory, which is really going to impact their life. You know, and it's $2 million because, you know, $1 million used to be a lot of money. Yeah. But could you imagine, could you guys imagine today retiring on a million dollars and that is all that stands between you and oblivion? That's not enough. It's not enough, unfortunately. Not enough anymore. Yeah. Right? You're right. So um, we've had to up that number as, as you know, the, the price of everything has increased. Yeah. Now, does that, uh, that two million mark, obviously, what does that look like in a lower priced area? Like if you're listening and you're, and you're in a market where the average price isn't at 800 or a mm-hmm. million dollars like it is here in the yeah. in Toronto area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that look like in some of the other areas? Does, is yeah, that it's an just easier a, thing to it's get It's on to? a magnitude of scale, yeah, right? Sure. So, you know, instead of uh, the, the $500,000 mark that we just discussed, it might be 300,000, okay? And at that point, the numbers are gonna be slightly smaller. But I can tell you that the 20 year number on a, say a 350 purchase is still 700,000 net. Right. On, a ten, on the 10 year, it's around 300, sorry, gross. And on the 10 year number, it's around 300,000. So. Um, uh, I often have clients come to me in their fifties and they come to me and they say something along the lines of, look, we've got 15 year runway. Okay. We're going to retire when we're 65. We've got a 15 year runway. Um, we have done everything that our parents told us to do and everything that our financial advisors have told us to do. And we're smart enough to do the math. We're here, the finish line's there, and this is what we have, and it's not going to be enough. And so what happens at that point in time is that they they start to take some pretty significant action in the world of real estate to start building, you know, that wealth uh, alongside what they're doing. And the, the comment I always get is, I wish I had done this 10 years ago. You know, I wish I had done this a little bit earlier. You know, the, the best time to buy a house was 10 years 10 ago, years 20 years ago. ago. Years I mean, ago. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. simple question, and for the realtors in the room, uh, the realtors listening as well. In the room, because in the room, because there's two you, of you, you and then everybody else listening, <laughs> is the, the question I love to ask clients is, um, imagine if your parents had just bought one more property 20 years ago, oh. right? And, and the, the cool thing is, we can be those parents to our children, for our children. Of course. Right? You're but, the best. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine your kids saying that to you. Is there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, we, we've got the ability to do things. And, and the thing is, it's, it's about information, yeah. right? I mean, a lot of people listening may think that they need their, their family home paid off before they can take on another mortgage. That's a, a pretty big misconception. Yeah. Um, so number one, no, if you have a debt on your home, that's fine. It's good. Um, it's fine. And we can, in fact, go and acquire more property even if you have debt on your principal residence. Right. That's that's a, a real possibility. Right. So don't let that stop you. And then the question is, well, how do, if I've got this $300,000 in my house, how do I go and get another $500,000 mortgage? So the answer there is that uh, the, the lenders, depending on the lender, um, we are able to get the rental income that that property will generate recognized as income. And that income can u- be used to directly offset the monthly cost of ownership of that property. And so if each property can be looked at as kind of like a business unit where there's, yes, there's expenses every month, but there's revenue every month and the revenue covers the expenses, then this is how people are able to buy multiple properties by by setting up those 
business units and those houses that just sort of cover each other. And that's how you see these people with 10 teen properties. Yeah. 10, 10 teen. I love it. That's, no. just, that's just more than 11 teen, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've been, we've been anyway. talking a lot about uh, to people who have uh, that uh, principal residence already. Right. Now for our millennials who are, they would like to own a home mm-hmm. in this current market. Right. They're like, I don't think I'll ever be able to own a home. Mm-hmm. Should I continue to just rent? And at least it allows me instead of that mortgage money, I can travel, I can live my life. You know, right. there's extra monies there. First, I would like you to answer that. Okay, sure. And secondly, how do we help get those millennials into buying properties. Okay. Yeah. Before you answer that, sorry, Dion, I just okay. want to make sure everyone, uh, even if you're listening this, listening to this podcast, watching the podcast after the fact that it's live, throw in your questions and your comments because we all monitor this. We want to make sure that your your information and your questions are answered. Uh, and and soon we're going to be taking some questions live and, and asking Dion. But that is such a big piece of our market. The next the next phase. Yeah. The next, the next phase is the yeah. millennial that yeah. generational yeah. transition. Right. Yep. Okay. So look. I hate to break it to you. I'm actually not a millennial, but oh, but right, we need a new mortgage broker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back when I was the age of what today's millennials would be, I uh, I wanted to live, and this is back when I was living in Brisbane, Australia. Oh yes, mate. Okay, uh, where it it uh, a cold day is 18 degrees Celsius. Yep. Yes, I married. A, I married a Canadian, and sometimes I ask myself why. Especially in February, I ask myself why. Why, why did, did I move here? But anyway, um, back when I was, you know, in my early twenties, uh, I I I knew that I wanted to live closer to downtown, but I knew that buying and buying a property there was a little bit out of my price range. And I think a lot of millennials can relate to this. Where they live and where they want to be on a daily basis is extremely expensive to live. And so some of those people might choose to rent and I, I get that. And I, I actually chose to do the same. So while I was at that age, I was actually choosing to rent. Um, but alongside that, I actually looked to property ownership outside of where I was living. And I bought a property in an outer suburb, something like your Hamilton or Oshawa type, yes. type location. Um, and so while I was living and paying rent, I had an asset out in the outer suburbs where I could afford, I could qualify to afford, and I had tenants in that property. Now, it's not as if, you know, those tenants were paying the rent that I lived, the rent where I lived. Those tenants were simply just covering the cost of the ownership of that outside property. But it's every month where I lived, when I lived where I lived, I wasn't just throwing away my rent money. I was also simultaneously building an asset in an area that I could afford. Mm-hmm. So that's one option for, for millennials who think that, okay, where they live has to be where they own. It doesn't have to be. It can be outside of that. Love and you it. can still get the benefits and still live where you want um, without having to make it all, all the same thing, right? That's one way. The other way would be to potentially pair up with other people. If you've got some like-minded you know, people in the same age group as you who want to do the same thing, then you might want to be want to want pull together. So recently I had a brother and a sister and they were living at home and they wanted to move out into their own properties. And each of them would only qualify for a little bit, uh, uh, well, a little bit under 450,000. And that was okay. They could buy for that. But then I had a conversation with them and saying, well, look, do you guys get along? 
Because if you get along, then you could combine, buy a property for 900000 Probably that, that property could have a basement apartment as well, rented to a third party, and it'd be cheaper. So we need to look at different ways to approach this problem. There are solutions, right? It's just, you know, which one do we want to execute? There are solutions. And that, yeah. that brother and sister I, example is is a huge one, in fact. Whether you're brother and sister mm-hmm. or, or close friends, it doesn't matter. Um, we sold a property for a brother and sister last year, and it was their first house. Right. They bought it for just under 500000 We sold it for close to nine hundred. Mm-hmm. about six years later. But that, and he says to me, Gare, the equity that I just made would have been rent down the drain. Mm -hmm. I would not have saved this much money and whatever he dreamed of saving wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So it it works even in, even in shifting markets. Yep. Like like what we're into today. Yeah, for sure. It works. I'll say just one more thing too. And, uh, in that parents who uh, want to help their kids get in, you don't necessarily have to just be gifting money to your children. You could be looking at this as a partnership, an actual business partnership where, you know, you'll pair up with your children in order to buy some property and all, you know, mutually benefit from the growth and, and the rental income on yeah. that property. So it... And, uh, are you seeing, uh, I'm, we're just starting to have this conversation now with some of our, our first time buyers is having that income helper. Whether right. it's, it's a it's a you know secondary suite within the house and what have you, and I'm trying to allow them to see things a little bit differently. You don't have to live in the big piece of the house. That's right. <laughs> you That's can right. live in the live basement. in the basement. It's the yeah. same type of thing you're going to rent anyways if you're going to stay a renter. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And instead of instead of you. I say only earning anywhere from say eleven hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. You can get close to two thousand dollars. Oh yes, and how yeah. you know that would go so much further towards that rent payment or the, yep. the mortgage payment every month. Yeah, I would agree, and I think it just comes down to that whole old concept of delayed gratification. In that, if uh, if you can delay what it is that you want for a couple of extra years, you know, yeah, sure, you and your you and your wife or you and your girlfriend live in the basement of the house that you own. It's counterintuitive. It's not what most people would do, but that's what gets people. Ahead. However, it's building wealth and it's long-term strategy yeah. instead of uh, yeah. short-term um, mm-hmm. reward, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's solutions for sure. That's good. That's good. We have another what? Five more minutes. Uh, us uh, just uh, grilling. Okay. <laughs> for before the, the questions. Before the questions okay. come in. Um, so for back to those millennials right now. Yeah. Um, would getting obviously is getting some monies from their parents, uh, co-signer, uh, getting their parents as a co-signer, partnering with uh, like-minded individual friends or family. Uh, what else would you recommend? So, um, in terms of saving for down payment, I would say that the best place to save is in your RRSP. And actually, it's quite timely given that I think the, the cutoff date for RSP contribution is this like Thursday or something. Yeah. <laughs> so this may be coming a little late to some, but uh, you can do this really at any time of the year. But um, I'll put, put it simply that, you know, if you earn $100 uh, at your place of work and you took it as income, then generally, you know, you might end up with 30% off the top as tax. So you end up with uh, $70 in your hand. And then you, you could go put that in a savings account and save for your, your down payment. So that's option one. But option two is tell your employer, okay, that $100 that you were going to give to me in my hand, I would rather you just immediately direct it to my RRSP. And in doing so, the entire $100 gets deposited into your RRSP. So you've effectively made a, you know, a 30% saving. Um, it's, it's better than a 30% return 
return on investment or 30% interest rate by doing that. So uh, while you're getting your, your ducks in a row, I would strongly recommend that you start contributing to your RSPs. Uh, and uh, just know that the maximum that one individual can take out is 25,000. So if you're a couple together buying your first home, that would be $50,000. Okay. Now, uh, you're a very savvy investor, mortgage broker. Um, what one book would you recommend that, you know, just someone who wants to understand the managing of financing and wealth creation? Sure. What one book would you recommend? Well, uh, truthfully, the book that got me into the world of real estate is the good old Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, right? And I think it's the book that uh, a lot of people have read. It's easy to read. Uh, the concepts make a lot of sense. I read it at a time in my life where uh, I, I lived in Japan for a period of time. And, uh, and when I was coming back to Australia, uh, I was about to jump back into the regular, you know, job. Fortune 500, nine to five job. And uh, this book is the book that made me stop and take a breath and say, okay, yes, you've been to university. Yes, you've got your degrees and all this other stuff. Yes, you, you know, uh, you've had this international experience. I was working for Canon cameras in Japan. Nice. So I had all that. And then, uh, you know, to, to turn my back on that and go, go down this path of real estate, I can tell you, I don't think my mother was very happy at the time, but uh, I can tell you that um, I'm, I'm extremely happy with, you know, the decision that I made as a result of, of reading that book. So it's an oldie, but a goodie. And, Robert uh, Kiyosaki, we need right. some, uh, some, what yeah. is it called? Um, the monies that uh, you... Some royalties? Royalties, <laughs> yes, <laughs> for plugging his book. That, that's actually, what started our career too. I'll just say one yeah. more thing, and I've been working on this for a little while, and I don't know when I'm going to finish it, but I have been writing a book. Here now, uh, come on. And actually, actually, let me let me poll your audience on this. This okay. is a question. So this whole concept is about the fact that in order to get wealthy, we may need to take on some debt like I just discussed. And so the two options that I have uh, that I've been bouncing around are, um, the, the title of the book would be The Upside Down Millionaire, meaning that you have to go into debt in order to get out. That's option one. And option two is quite simply why your financial plan is wrong. <laughs> and I know I'm going to get a lot of kickback from the financial planning industry there. But again, it's why, why, why would we look at uh, real estate ownership rather than the alternatives. So. But you're, and, and so I'm not sure if we touched on this at the beginning of the podcast, but uh, Dion can stand on a soapbox and say that because he was a financial planner for many years. Right, yes. right. So that you, you have some credibility there because you've seen, not to say there's one side or the other side, but you've seen the other options to create wealth. Yeah, and when I say wrong, I'm not saying that everything that is happening there is wrong. It's that there's a deficiency Right. And the deficiency is, and all of you need to hear this, mm. when you get your book to become a financial planner, there are chapters and chapters on life insurance, bonds, stocks, mutual funds. The amount of pages dedicated to the importance of direct real estate ownership as an investment vehicle, I believe was zero. Really? And, uh, you know, I understand why. It's because that industry is licensed and regulated and they have to be able to license and, and, and regulate the, the actions of the people in that industry. And so um, the thing is they're not licensed uh, to sell real estate. And so the people in that industry can't sell you something they're not licensed to sell you. It's not mm. their fault. It's just the way that the system is set up. So if, if a regular Canadian wants to find out how to invest in direct real estate, they their real estate, sorry, their financial advisor at their bank 
can't help them with that. Right. They're not licensed to yes. talk to them about that. And so they have to go outside of their bank and find somebody in the world of real estate who is more than just a real estate salesperson. And that's another hard thing. I mean, I know the two of you were investors before you were realtors. Of course. Right? I was I was an investor before I was a mortgage broker. And so the the difficult thing for, for people trying to find information on this topic is okay. I think that real estate's important, but how do I find somebody in that industry who isn't just out doing open houses and selling people regular houses? You need people who are invested themselves. Um, so that's you know that's a thing, and I think if you're listening to this, then you found two realtors here who know what they're doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> Could you kidding, repeat I'm that? Kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we got a few questions here, and there's one from. Uh, from Merrill here, and I'm just going to pop it onto the screen. Um, Dion, what's the best way to challenge fair market rent on a student rental that the bank is considering a single family home? Is, do you have some insight on that or how to... How to hey, Merrill, how you doing, man? Yeah. We went to lunch a couple of years ago. There you go. Um, so, Merrill, the, um, it, it's, number one, it's going to depend on the lender. So mm. I, I don't want to get into uh, technicalities and naming names on a, on a broadcast like this, but I want to say that uh, different lenders view rents, student rentals in different ways. Some lenders actually have a student rental product. Others have just regular rental products. I feel that what you've got there is probably a lender who only does regular rental and you're trying to do a hybrid. So uh, you got my number. Give me a call after. Yeah, there you and go. I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. And, and that's why it's, <laughs> no, I love it. That That's why it's so important to be talking to the right people. Right? I just saw that the next comment is from yeah, my mom. Your mom. I love it. Get out of here. I want to talk to, I want to talk to. Give a shout out to your I, mom. It's funny because my mom was on earlier. And, get out of here. Yeah. So, okay, okay, so beg. I, I told Colin, I told Colin earlier, and this is going to give you some insight into my mother's age and she'd probably get angry at me there. But today, at least in Canada, today is my, my sister's birthday. Now I have sisters and they're twins. So today they're 100 because they're 50, uh, 50 each. They're 50 each. <laughs> I see what you did there. 50 years ago today. So are, are we, is she tuning in from Australia? Yes, she, yeah, she would be. I don't, know what we of, reached, I don't know what time of day that is. Over there. Yeah. Um, it's too late for you, mom. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's or is early. It early. I think maybe it's she's early. having breakfast. It's early. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. That's pretty cool. We always love our moms. We're going to, we're going to love that one. Yeah. Since it's your mom. Okay. Thank for you. For sure. For sure. Dion, talk to us a little bit. I know you've, you, you like to allow people to look at things with different lenses mm -hmm. and it doesn't always have to be the same thing every time. Yep. And uh, we've had some lengthy conversations and we, and we've talked about this in front of different workshops that yes. you and I've been a part of yep. on the fact that is negative cash flow Okay. Mm. And, okay. and with, with, you know, the, the preference of, well, I only want to buy one, maybe two properties at most. Right. And if right. it's negative, how can I counteract, 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 Counteract. That's the word. Yes. Right. Counteract that with some of my other investments. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's that's a it's a hairy one to answer, but I'm I'm going to do my best to answer. All right. And I think it comes down to what are we comparing it to? Okay. So the first question that I I want to I want to ask you is what are you doing with your money? And in right. most cases, a lot of families are contributing. And you know what? The the, the easy one to compare it to is uh, anybody who's a parent probably has an RESP, an right. education savings plan that they're investing in for their children. And I'll, I'll quickly explain how I see these working. So actually I'll tell you, the, the, the true story is about seven years ago, 
when we had our first child, um, six, seven years ago, uh, we thought, okay, we better get serious now. We better s- figure out how, how we're going to start saving for, for our child. And let's go and see, let's go do what the conventional thing is and go and see the uh, RESP guy. And the guy who came to our house, drove his car into our driveway and his number plate said, Mr. RESP. So I'm like, oh, we found the guy. Nice. Like, yeah. this is it. Like, yeah, we found the guy. He's the guy. Okay. We got it. Right? Show's <laughs> over. <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> and so he sat down and he explained this. And if you've got an RESP, you'll relate. It works this way. You can contribute $200 a month over about 20 years. That's $48,000 of your money. That's after-tax money, by the way, uh, that you've contributed into this uh, vehicle. And then, uh, you know, assuming a certain level of growth at around, say, 5% a year, um, that, that, that 48, sorry, and by the way, the government will match you to about $7,200. So your 48 plus 7,200 from the government is just over 55 grand invested. And at the end of 20 years, you're gonna end up with somewhere around about 100 grand, plus or minus, depending on market conditions. Mm -hmm. So that's what most responsible parents are doing for their children in Canada right now. so when, we com- when he left, we compared that to the 20-year number in the same 20 years on an investment property. And the 20-year number, and, and we, we had investment property at the time. And so the 20-year number on the investment property that we were looking at was somewhere around $700,000. So we said, okay, even if that property cost us $200 a month, that is to say that the rent did not cover the monthly expenses, to the tune of $200. So now we're talking apples and apples, okay? It's $200 here. For the next 20 years, I can choose to direct $200 to this vehicle or $200 to this vehicle. This one gives me 100 grand. This one gives me potentially 700. There's no guarantees on this one, by the way, okay? It's assumed growth based on history. I wanna be clear there. But if I had to take a gamble, I would rather gamble here because even if we fell half short, we're at 350 yep. versus 100. Yep. Okay. So a lot of my clients, you know, come to me and they, they, you know, again, they wish they had this information earlier. I am not saying do not invest in RESPs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when you compare them and when you ask that negative cash flow question, I would be less concerned over here, you know, yeah, if, if it had to be negative. And, and I know when, as soon as you mentioned negative cash flow, you're on thin ice. Mm-hmm. Right, with a lot of savvy and real estate investors. Yep. But the, the question is really directed to those that know it. I only need one or two investment right. properties. They're not you looking to build that huge portfolio. It. If you're looking to build a huge portfolio, negative cash flow run for the hills typically, right? Mm-hmm. And and it all, it all comes down to the opportunity, of course, but that is not a way to build a portfolio. Correct, what, correct. What we're talking about is building generational wealth right. for for that and individual that wants I want to sort of also just close that conversation about mm-hmm. how do we turn this into positive cash flow? Because we, you know, in retirement, we don't want to be paying 200 here and 200 there into negative. So the way we do this, guys, is very simple. We sell one. Yep. Right. Sell one, take the proceeds, pay off the other. Now you probably have a property that's, that's uh, mortgage-free Mm-hmm. that rents for three or $4,000 a month. And that's certainly going to boost your cash flow in retirement. And that's actually, my mom just tuned in there. That's actually what my parents did. Um, they, they own, now they own, I think it's a triplex. And uh, they pretty much executed the plan that we just discussed. That's not me. <laughs>
We have a phone ringing here. I think it's fine. Somebody has a question. Oh, there somebody's got a phone. question? Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Someone's actually calling my phone for a question. <laughs> no, no. We, no. we got to get on Facebook <laughs> with the questions, my friends. All right. <laughs> um, also, you know, while, uh, before we wrap up, I just want to let people know that if, they, if they're not sure whether they can qualify for something like this, please feel free to reach out. Um, Oh yeah, you asked me earlier why people use a mortgage broker, and I never answered that. I was gonna get, to, I was gonna pull you back on that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much more time we have, but we got what eight more minutes, yeah. six okay. more minutes. All right, I'm gonna summarize as quickly as I can. Um, when you go shopping for cornflakes, okay, at your supermarket, you can buy the shiny box that we all know. That's the big brand. Okay, are you going to cornflakes on this? Cornflakes. All, all right, right. Cornflakes. you got me. Okay, I'm in. I'm hooked. So I let's need say like a, a hook, line, and sinker. Let's say over you're going here. to cornflakes, right? You're going to go to Loblaws and buy some cornflakes, um, and that box is seven dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, but below it is this yellow box. Okay, it also says cornflakes on it, but it's five dollars. No frills box. Right. Now I'm not saying this is the exact case, but Imagine picking up those two boxes and seeing where that money's where where the cornflakes are made, and they're sometimes made in the same factory. Okay, and the thing is that factory it can go twenty four seven. It can pump out cornflakes all day every day, right? But only so much of the market will buy the nice looking box, right? The the other cornflakes they're, they're sitting in the pile there. This company's got to sell it, so they'll go and sell it in a cheaper package, mm. right? It doesn't look as nice, maybe. Uh, and it may be on a different shelf. And in fact, it may not be in that same store. It might be in a, like a Costco, right? So the mortgage broker actually has access to money in the same way. So you all know that, um, you know, let's say the three of us are, you know, rich. So we've got like a million dollars. We pull, we've got a million dollars together and we put it in the bank, okay? Whatever bank that is. Mm-hmm. Logically, you would think that that bank can go and lend a million dollars. But the reality is that bank can go and lend around 10 times that. They can go lend $10 million, okay? I won't get into why, but just that's the facts. So that bank though, through their regular retail branches, they may only be able to lend 4 million, okay? Because that's, that's where their customers are at. So they're sitting on this $6 million of lending capacity that they can't lend through their retail branches. So what do they do? They drop it into a different distribution channel, which is my channel which is the mortgage brokerage channel. And the lenders in my brokerage channel are kind of like the no-name box of cornflakes. Mm. Um, it's the same product, guys. It's the same money. It's from the same source, right? But it's I cheaper. I love the analogy. I love right. the analogy. It's cheaper. It's and cheaper cornflakes. Exactly. I'm hungry. I, right? Yeah. <laughs> Took the words out of my mouth. And the reason it's cheaper is, let's say through the retail doors, a bank is lending at 3.5%. Um, and they've done the best they can to get that. Now they, they've got this $6 million. They'd rather go lend it out to these other lenders at, or it doesn't technically work that way, but let's say they were able to distribute it over there at 3%. They're still making some money on them. Yep. They'd rather make three than nothing, right? And then, and then it can get filtered down that way. So number one, we get access to rates that sometimes other lenders, or uh, that the banks themselves may, may not be able to offer sometimes. Um, I want to let you know that we do work with banks and they certainly have their place, especially with investment property. Uh, we do a lot of business with our banks. So thank you to our banks as well. Yeah, we love the banks. And, and you're, when, you, <laughs> when you mean banks, to cut, to add some clarity yeah. to it, you mean sure. like your, your typical bank that you can walk through a front door. Yeah, on, exactly. Right? You know, your retail bank yeah. on every other corner in, in the GTA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, separate to that, we work with lenders 
these banks and lenders sit on a level, what we call A lenders, where it's still hard to qualify. You still have to meet all the same criteria, but one may be cheaper than the other, depending. Then underneath that level, we have uh, or what we call our alternative lenders, also sometimes referred to as B lenders. These are lenders who uh, lend to people in less than perfect income situations or credit situations. So that's, uh, that's another one. Uh, that we can help with. And then the, below them, we have private lenders. In between there, we have syndicated mortgages and private lenders. But ultimately, it's just the, the further the further down the scale we go, the more expensive it gets. And the, I guess the worse the borrower's circumstances are. The majority of what I do is on the A level because most of our clients are investors. And so they're, they're qualifying based on good income, good credit, and those types of things. Um, but yes. So I, I have overall. a question about, yeah. you know, talk about cornflakes. Sure. And, and one of the ways that uh, manufacturers were able to sell more cornflakes is right. they, they, they prettied them up. They dolled them up. They pimped them out. They did whatever. They made them taste better. They made like frosted flakes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So do you see some of the banks doing some of that stuff? You like, like that? It. You like that? I segue? like that, man. I'm going to take that and use it. Take it. Yeah. Like just because we all know that the market shifted, especially in the GTA mm -hmm. area here. And because there's been less sales... They have to pretty up the mortgages. They got to pretty up the mortgages, meaning they got to attract consumers to come in. Do you think we're going to see stuff like that? Look, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I can tell you that you know one of the advantages that banks have is that the majority of banks allow you to, uh, allow you to get access to a home equity line of credit. And a lot of the lenders, the cheaper lenders, don't have those capabilities. So again, you know, to your question, Colin, what's the benefit of dealing with a mortgage broker is that uh, sometimes... And it's kind of like also like buying a car. The cheapest is not always the best, yeah. right? And so we need to get make sure that whatever your plan is, that we'll put you into the, the right mortgage product that's going to get you to where you need to be, especially with investors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, an investor will call me on a, on a particular rate and they've got a fantastic rate and I will tell them, hey, look, the rate that your lender is offering you is better than what is in the market today. Interesting. So if it's just just rate, stick with them. But if you want to execute one of these other plans that we, we might want to discuss mm. in creating hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars over the next couple of years, then we might have to step away from that product, give up that amazing rate, but go into a different product that's sure more expensive, but it'll get you there. So right. now yeah. you had a, qu a question uh, that Dion was supposed to answer. We're going to let him answer that. Then we're going to wrap up because uh, we are going to okay. end this in the next minute and a half. Okay. Do you remember the question? I can't remember. Oh, it was, see, that's, that's the quality of questions we have here, folks. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> What's been the strangest thing a lender has oh, ever worked? Okay, 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 okay. What do you got for us? I was thinking, so, uh, <laughs> one, one particular client, um, yeah, so one particular client was, uh, told me that he was separated and as such, uh, and had some child support to pay. And so I collected all the documents and we have to, we have to put this information forward to the lender. And then, the lender called me and said, hang on, there's more child support on here. What's this? And it was from another marriage. <laughs> so I learned from that. Oops. I need to ask, have you been previously married? And how many, <laughs> many times have you been previously managed, married? And, man, uh, married and, and how many children do you have from each of each of your previous spouses? So I just, just a little bit of a weird, a weird thing. And another reason why divorce is so expensive. It's extremely expensive, <laughs> apparently. Wow. All right. So here, here, we're going to end this, wrap this up. What do we got here? Yeah, oh, that's, that's my dad. Oh, that's, my your, dad. that's dad. your dad. That's why I put it there. <laughs> and I love how he signs it off. Off the golf now. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. So are okay, we. I have to share this with you. Okay. Right, when it. I left Australia yeah. 10 years ago, my dad had just retired. So I bought him 
a set of golf clubs. He'd never played golf in his life. Okay. <laughs> now my dad's a likable guy. So two years later, he was president of the golf club. Yes. No right? way. And I went back to visit him this uh, two years ago and he showed me his hole in one trophies. 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 Wow. Okay. Wow, wow, in 10 wow. years, how many hole in ones this guy got? Five. Five. Whoa. Five. Whoa. <laughs> I'll bring I'll bring some photos. I'll show you next time. Yeah. That is just amazing. <laughs> Again, everyone, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, uh, we're we're with the not so black and white real estate podcast, where we're not just uh, real estate agents, but we're also investors. <laughs> so now, for anyone who you know love what you have to say, would love to get in contact with you. Sure. How do they get in contact with you? You can if you're watching this on Facebook, certainly just hit me up on Facebook. If uh, you can go to my website, uh, mortgagesbydion.com, which is the ad at the start of the, there, there it is. is. Fantastic. <laughs> Clickety click. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll also say this, if you're interested in real estate investment, but you're a little bit uh, maybe nervous about the whole concept, I also work directly with partners. So if you're looking for an active real estate partner, that's something that I also do where I'll work together with you and we'll buy properties together. So uh, yeah, feel free to reach out in that way. Dion, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Again, uh, friends and family, have a fantastic day. We are signing off now. All right. Good night, everyone. And uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you real soon.